the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And in this episode, we are going to explore one of the most toxic relationships ever put to celluloid. What are we going to do this week, Darren? We're going to take a look at Teresa Russell and Art Garfunkel in a relationship that you are never going to want to be a part of. It's 1980s bad timing. Before we begin this discussion, please be aware that we do go into some very sensitive topics in this episode, including discussions of suicide and sexual assault. So if that is something that you find triggering, please switch off and go and listen to one of our more lighter episodes. But if you would still like to know more about the film Bad Timing, then just stick with us. After last week's delve into Sharknado 6, we now look at a film that is pretty much the polar opposite of the Sharknado franchise. It's 1980s Bad Timing, directed by Nicholas Rogue. So I'm going to read a synopsis from IMDb written by Marty Cassidy to give you a glimpse into what Bad Timing is all about. The setting is Vienna. A young American woman is brought to a hospital after overdosing on pills, apparently in a suicide attempt. A police detective suspects foul play on the part of her lover, an American psychology professor. As doctors try to save her life, the detective interrogates the professor, and through flashbacks we see the events leading up to the woman's overdose. Her stormy and intensely sexual relationship with the professor, her heavy drinking and numerous affairs, and her estrangement from her Czech husband, a darkly erotic study of several rather unsympathetic characters. I think that's a pretty good synopsis to sum up bad timing. I mean, it, it is a ride, I'm not going to lie. First things first, I actually have to give credit to my friend Emma for us doing this episode. So if she's listening, thank you to Emma for bringing this to our attention. So there's a little bit of history with this film that I'm going to delve into, personal history, I should specify. So a few years ago, I, me and my friend we went out for lunch and we just started talking about movies and she asked me if I remembered this movie that we watched when we were around the age of 12 or 13 at a sleepover. She began describing the film to me and then I did have a very vague recollection of what she was talking about. The main scenes that came to mind were a hospital, a blonde woman writhing on a stretcher, and a man with curly hair. So that is the only information that we collectively remembered about this film. 
Following that, I did try to do a bit of digging online to no avail. I couldn't find whatever this film was. And then I think I, I went down some unsuccessful routes, then kind of forgot about it for a while. And every so often we have discussed this film. And I think we were imagining that we were searching for some low-budget TV movie. I think that was where we were going in the wrong direction with this. So very recently, I just thought off the off chance, I'm just going to ask on Reddit because where else do you go when you need to find something that is a bit obscure? I ask on Reddit and someone responds to me and they send the trailer for this movie and I look at it and I literally have a flashback. I mean, I know that's ironic considering the nature of this film. I literally have a flashback and think, oh my God, this is the movie. Bear in mind how young we were. We didn't realise there was anybody particularly famous in this film. So we did not draw the connection with Art Garfunkel at all, but it just makes perfect sense. Everything has fallen into place. And I think the most stunning fact for me is this is a Nicholas Roeg film. And I know I've spoken about it in previous podcasts about our relationship with the witches and how that was a film that terrified us as children. And then, of course, we came to this film a little bit later. And I'm just thinking, wow, we are being haunted by Nicholas Roeg's work. When I discovered what this film was, I went straight to Darren, as I always do if I've got anything movie-related, and Darren decided to watch it, and we just kind of decided from there, this film has so much content that we have to do an episode on it. What a psychologically disturbing film this is, and I think we just have to get into it, really. So that's a bit of backstory. I hope you enjoyed that, and now we're going to delve into Bad Timing. It is a ride, as you say, and I thought I'd seen this, but having come back to it, there's so much stuff in this movie that I would never have forgotten. I could not have seen this movie, either that or I may have drifted into it partway through, couldn't get into it, drifted back out of it. I do know that Movie Drome showed it on BBC Two here. I also think that Channel 4 may have shown it as well, but... Either of those times, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have watched it all the way through because I would remember some of the stuff that went on in this movie. So I'm going to count this as a first watch for me. In fact, it's a first and second watch because I watched it a few weeks ago when I first located it and I've watched it very, very recently for the podcast to revisit it and to soak in all the very, very bizarre and creepy stuff that goes on in this movie. It's weird how Nicholas Rogue does tend to cast pop stars in leading roles. He was co-director of performance with Donald Campbell. Mick Jagger was in performance. He obviously directed The Man Who Fell to Earth. David Bowie took the lead in that. And now you've got Art Garfunkel giving a pretty decent performance, I have to say, in this as a very twisted psychology professor. And if you think that Art Garfunkel is that sort of folksy guy who used to sing with Paul Simon, he did Bright Eyes for the Watership Down soundtrack, you think, oh, Art Garfunkel, yeah, yeah, he's a nice guy. He is not a nice guy in this whatsoever. Absolutely. And I think this is why my quest for this movie reached a dead end, because it's more subversive than you think. I believed in my mind that... I was looking for a movie where it was a female bunny boiler and 
Yes, there are elements of that to a degree in this. I mean, I'm not saying that the Malena character is completely off the hook in this because she does display some very troubling behaviour. But the pure evilness in this film does come down to the character of Alex played by Art Garfunkel. So, as I say, I thought I was looking for some Fatal Attraction knockoff. I mean, this came before it for a start, so obviously it couldn't have been. This is a movie that really draws you in. And it's a movie where you do feel like a voyeur and it's even pointed out in an early scene in the film by Art Garfunkel's character. He's a professor, psychology professor, and he's then bringing that up to his classroom about everybody being watchers, voyeurs, spies. So that's very interesting because you you feel very much drawn into what's playing out in front of you, even though you know you shouldn't be getting involved in this situation because it's one of the darkest films I've ever seen, but not in a way that I feel wrong for watching it or I feel upset that I've watched it. I don't feel that in the slightest. I mean, I definitely got a lot out of this. And I would say it's quite underrated because it has received criticism for its method of storytelling. It is predominantly told in flashbacks. Now, we flagged up a review by Roger Ebert on the film, and one criticism that he brought to the table was he didn't like how Roeg was using scenes of the hospital and a procedure that's happening to Milena to kind of have an emotional punchback to a flashback. But I thought that element was really effective. And it is something that it just really shocks you. I think it just shocks you into thinking what was going to happen next. This is honestly just a really disturbing journey. What's really interesting about this film and how we're going to get in, into the discussion is that its own distributor described it, and I hope I'm quoting this correctly, as a sick film made by sick people for sick people. Now, you guys be the judge if we are sick people watching this film. And I would always say enjoying it to a point not it's a very it's a very difficult one to describe because I got a lot out of this movie I feel I did enjoy it but at the same time I didn't enjoy elements that were going on in it but I just couldn't keep my eyes away from it I, I was compelled to see what was going to happen and I think it's really interesting that it's described as such a sick film because a lot of it is quite subtle in how it's done and it's not until the end that you get something pretty horrific happen and I do think as well there are films before this and since this there are a lot worse so that I find that whole idea of it being really sick and controversial quite a fascinating one yeah I don't believe it's sick at all it is a challenging movie to be certain it is a movie for adults made by adults and it's got some very adult attitudes into how things are portrayed on screen Yes, there are things that you will be very disturbed by, but it is a movie about disturbed people. And I've got to say, I love this movie. And I don't love it because of the disturbing content. The disturbing content is, is horrible, and it builds up to something truly dreadful and shocking. But I love the way it's put together. I love the way that it takes its time to tell the story, but it still draws you in. It looks beautiful. The performances are pretty good across the board. Art Garfunkel, yeah, maybe he's not pulling as much weight as the rest of the cast, but he's not really an actor primarily, and he gives a pretty good performance in this. 
against people like Denham Elliott and Harvey Keitel and Teresa Russell, he does hold his own. He doesn't stick out in the movie. The main performance in this, obviously, is Teresa Russell, who is absolutely astonishing in this. She is so good. If you watch it for nothing else, watch it for for Teresa Russell's performance, because she is absolutely brilliant in this movie. And I think she was only something like 23 at the time. It's an amazing performance for somebody so young. You sympathise with her, even though she is this really damaged, alcoholic, pill-popping woman who has got no self-control whatsoever and throws herself into relationships and situations that you know she shouldn't and you know that it's going to be a downfall. But even so, you do have a lot of sympathy for the Milena character. You perhaps shouldn't because she's ultimately self-destructive. But what does give you a little bit more sympathy is that Art Garfunkel's character, Alex, he is preying on her when he shouldn't be. He knows that she's in a brittle psychological state. He even does tests on her subtly. He does this Lucia colour test earlier on and he plays it off as a game and she thinks it's a bit of a laugh. And later on, you find out, you see the back of the test and it's about the information about it and it just says it is not meant to be a parlour game. You just have this point hammered home that Alex is not a good guy. He is manipulative. He's an awful, awful person. But again, he's a fascinating character. You don't want him to succeed, but you're interested in what he's going to do next. And as everything builds up, you kind of know something awful is going to happen at the end anyway, because you come in almost near the end of the story. So you know something bad has happened, but you're not quite sure how bad. And when you get to it, oh God, it's bad. It's really bad. And it's one of those things that it's not exploitatively done, but it's so disturbing that you kind of don't want to watch it. You're sort of on the brink of looking away and it's quite an extended sequence. It's in a sequence that a lot of people will maybe switch off when it starts because you know where it's going. And I don't blame anybody for doing that. It really is forcing you to assume that role of voyeur to the most extreme point. It's a challenging movie. That's what it is. I don't think it's sick at all. I just think that it's a movie put together by somebody who wanted to confront people with the nature of how human beings are and how far we will go in terms of what we need to watch and what we want to see. and. Is there a point at which you won't go beyond? And it doesn't do it in a gory or sort of meretricious way. It does it with the right amount of tact. And you might watch this and think, where is the tact in this movie? Because it's full of confrontational imagery. There's points during the hospital procedures on Belena which are very invasive and intrusive for her and the viewer. It really is full on. And the fact that they keep suddenly flashing back to this, it's almost like a jump scare. Not quite, but that's how they deploy them. You're constantly reminded that she is hovering between life and death through pretty much the entire movie. And they never let you forget that. Even though they have quite long sequences of Alex and Milena and how their relationship develops and how they come across problems and how they almost break up and how they get back together and all that sort of stuff. But always at the back of the movie's mind is that she is lying on a hospital table 
and she might be dead by the end of the movie. And as for the suicide attempt, right from the start, it's thrown into question. It's did she actually want to take her own life? It throws a few clues in there. And to that end, there is a police inspector played by Harvey Keitel called Inspector Natusil, who is investigating it. And it kind of turns into the most warped episode of Columbo ever. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree with everything you said there. Now, as we ventured to discuss the very much disturbing nature of the climax of this film, I can hand on heart say I don't think me and my friend got that far. And I'm really glad we did when we were 12, 13, because we, we didn't need, we had no business watching this movie. And I, I don't even know why we did, how we came across it. It was definitely on TV. I think. Art Garfunkel's performance stood out so much because he was just so creepy and sinister. And and I think, as you say, it's like you're just so intrigued to see where he's going to go with stuff and you want to believe that maybe he'll pull back. But it's that kind of obsessiveness about him and it's very much of, if I can't have you, no one can. He is so infatuated with Melena that I think he sees her as a challenge because he can't quite figure her out. She's so spontaneous and sporadic. She's never on the same page as him ever, and he can't handle that. And the more frustrated he gets. And I think before the end scene where it's revealed what exactly went down, there's another scene a bit earlier on that is pretty traumatic to sit through where he is basically making her feel guilty. He's almost gaslighting her for not wanting to have sex with him he then proceeds to leave and she's so desperate to make him stay that she basically tells him just come and have it just come and have it and there's, a, there's quite a rough sex scene on a staircase and you don't really see a lot it's quite dark but it's just the nature of it feels very rough and again it's like you're sitting there watching this not being able to take your eyes off it but feeling like I really shouldn't be looking at this this is horrendous and, and you feel helpless as a viewer because there's nothing that you can do to help Melena and I think that's what's so horrible about it there's nothing you can do in that position yeah it's just as you say it's a an insight into the human condition and it's, it's just fascinating and I just think there's so many layers to this film I really did like the narrative structure I know some people might um, not be on board with it but I think it was cleverly done I kind of liked going back and forth just putting the jigsaw pieces together and I think it really enhanced the mystery of the whole film Another thing that was interesting that I probably didn't pay attention to on my first half viewing or whatever it was back 20-odd years ago, but there was a lot of artistic imagery in it as well, a lot of paintings, really, again, provoking imagery. And I found that really interesting in the sense with Roig's other work because a disturbing painting plays a part in The Witches as well. So I thought that was just really interesting seeing that. And I mean, the opening of the movie, there's a really strange piece of music at the start of the film and it opens with a vocalist with a really gruff voice. And it's like, this just does not feel natural. I feel like, what am I getting myself into already by the time it starts? And then you're straight into the action with the ambulance, the sirens, very much an onslaught of the senses, this film as well. As I say, no matter how horrific it becomes, you just don't want to look away. And usually... I can be a little bit on the fence with disturbing content and I don't know what it was about this film that I felt so compelled by because I think it was a case of wanting to 
finally see this mystery movie that I've been looking for for 20 years, but also thinking, wow, this is actually an excellent piece of filmmaking. And I don't think people really appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's been given a bit of a rough ride over the years. The content in this movie is meant to throw you off. It's meant to be disturbing. It's meant to jump about. It's meant to disorient you. And as you say, for some people, that might be too much. That might not be what you want out of a movie. There isn't really much of a happy ending to this. It's not as bleak as you think it's going to be at the end, although it's pretty fucking bleak in places. It serves you up this view that lots of people are shit, really. They're awful, awful people. And it's not going to give you an out. And just when you think there might be redemption for certain characters, there isn't. The Alex character, he's never going to admit how terrible he is, regardless of how much badgering the detective does of him. He is not going to admit what an awful piece of shit he is. And obsession does run through the movie. Alex is a very obsessive person, but the detective is also a very obsessive person. He needs to get to the truth. It's just such a great movie. This, I'm really sorry that I missed out on it all those years ago, because I did like Rogue's other work. I did like performance. I did like The Man Who Fell to Earth. And why this passed me by, maybe I just wasn't in the mood at the time. But having only seen it a few weeks ago, I am quite sorry that I haven't been able to revisit it over the years. I will be doing, because I think it's an absolutely fantastic piece of work. And I will be going back and watching it again. It's not the sort of thing you can put on for background watching. And there's a certain level about it where there's an argument to be made that do you enjoy watching this movie? I enjoy the filmmaking. I enjoy the performances. I don't enjoy what's going off on the screen. But as you say, there's something compelling about it, about people that are just so deeply into what they're doing. Even Milena, you know that she's doing things that she suspects are probably completely wrong and will be her undoing. But she's so obsessive about how she conducts her lifestyle and that she's got no barriers and she just wants to try everything, that nothing holds her back. It's a really complicated character, Milena, but it's a really complex performance by Teresa Russell as well because she's infuriating, but she's also really sweet at the same time. She's annoying as fuck, but at the same time, you don't want anything bad to happen to her because there's an innocence about her even though she's going to parties and getting drunk and having sex and taking pills and all this sort of stuff, there's still something quite oddly wholesome about her. And the fact that this guy is basically giving her the ultimatum that either they're going to be together or he's pretty much going to destroy her is quite disturbing. It's the sort of movie that I don't think people would make these days. I don't think you'd get something along the lines of bad timing because... It deals with certain subjects in a certain way. And I think, not to use the sort of term in a pejorative way, but I think the sort of things that go on in this movie, if you did it today and you shot it in the same way, it'd just be too triggering for people. I think they just wouldn't be able to handle what this movie is showing you and the way that it is showing it. 
it's not like the guinea pig films where it's just like people getting disemboweled for no reason. It's not trying to rub your face in anything like that. But at the same time, it's deeply psychologically disturbing. And I think that is actually much worse than seeing people eviscerated on screen. I mean, yeah, it's gory, but you can kind of put that to one side and say, well, that's just effects. If you're actually shocking somebody in a psychological way, that's far more dark and disturbing because people do that sort of thing. And to see this play out over two hours, yes, it's not for everybody. Yes, I understand why people hate this movie, but I'm such a fan of this movie. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I would urge people, if you've got a reasonably strong constitution, try it out. You can always switch it off. That's very true. And yeah, Melena is portrayed as a very, very vulnerable young woman underneath. I mean, she's a vulnerable young woman being taken advantage of by older men, essentially. I mean, she has a much older husband who she's estranged from. So that brings in an interesting dynamic. And then, of course, she is being manipulated and preyed on by Alex. And she says multiple times when she just wants to be loved. And I think it's that desire for love that is making her make these self-destructive decisions advantage of and it is so hard to watch and you do have a lot of sympathy for her and yeah I suppose it could be argued she does bring things on herself to a point but she does not deserve the outcome of what happens to her it's a case of wrong place wrong time and of course it is bad timing it's bad timing that these two people gravitated towards each other and it's interesting because she is the one who pursues him to begin with as well. It, it just there's so many interesting dynamics. It's not black and white. It's not not what you think. Yeah, this film has so so much that can be talked about. You do need a bit of a strong stomach for it. But I think the as you say, the whole invasiveness of it with the hospital procedures that are shown, it's very quick, but it shocks you enough. It's very effective. We definitely got to the part in the film with the trachea being punctured. We definitely got to that point because my friend remembered bleeding from the neck and I couldn't quite remember the context. So I'm thinking, oh, was this kind of horror-esque? Is it a slit throat? No, this is a little bit later in and it's because she's taken this overdose of they having to act quickly and open her up, essentially. And then it gets a bit worse where, like, she's having to have a swab. That is, again invasive and then that plays into it later on where i'm going to reveal spoilers here the detective decides to turn a blind eye to it as long as he knows what's happened he's going to let it lie and it, it does infuriate you as a viewer because there's there's no justice in this movie there is no justice for any character in this movie and the ending's quite interesting because after everything i, I think we have to imagine there's been a passage of time and Alex and Milena cross paths again. You know, I'm assuming the character is much stronger after what she's been through, and she basically ignores him, but she does stare him out long enough, and we see the scar on her throat, and it's like, yeah, this is what you've done, but you've made me stronger. That's how I'm going to interpret that end scene. But he's still out there, lurking out there, and he could do that behaviour to anyone else, because that's the kind of sleazy manipulative bastard that this character is and it, it's just very interesting because he comes across as this quiet and assuming person but with his knowledge of psychology it makes it easier for him to 
manipulate and prey on people. Yeah, there's so much about this movie that is worth talking about. And I guess we could probably go on for hours and hours and hours about this movie. We won't. To hear us talk for like four or five hours about this movie, you're going to want to switch the podcast off. But it's a movie that you do have to see because it rewards multiple watching, basically, because there are things that you will not see because there's lots and lots of visual cues. There's lots of musical cues. The non-linear plot is sometimes a little bit hard to follow, so you need to keep going back and working out where you are in the story. There are very subtle pointers to what's going to happen or to what has happened. There are some not-so-subtle pointers as well, but that's fine because, you know, it doesn't ever hit you over the head with anything, but it doesn't have to be all subtext. There is one point at which the character of Alex is basically staring into the abyss. He is actually staring into an abyss of sorts. He's on a bridge looking down this valley. And it's the point at which everything is kind of closing in on him. And he doesn't know maybe what to do. And he's got the cops questioning him. And he's got to this point where he's just thinking about things. And he basically is staring into an abyss. Now, I didn't notice that the first time. Second time I watched it, I thought, oh yeah, he's literally staring into an abyss. That's the sort of thing that this movie does that rewards more than one watch yes it's a difficult subject it's a difficult movie to watch and i would caution people because of the content but i think there's a lot to be got out of this movie it's a more intelligent movie than just that sick movie for sick people tag would suggest Rank were so disturbed with the movie that they took their logo off the start of the movie when they distributed it. That is how little faith they had in this movie. They just didn't want to have anything to do with this movie. So the Rank logo at the start, it is not there on this movie. It's right at the very end of the credits, but at the start of it, there's no mention of the Rank organisation at all because they fucking hated this movie. But... Once you've got the distribution rights and once you've stuck the money in, what are you going to do? Well, in Rank's case, they took their name off the front of it. Also, the version that you will see most places is ever so slightly cut. And it's not cut for violence. It's the sequence where Alex is giving the lecture and it's a sequence of photographs. It's about the first spy. It's a kid coming in and accidentally stumbling on his parents having sex. And there are photos kind of flashing backwards and forwards. And apparently there is a slight cut in that because the BBFC in the UK didn't like that juxtaposition of a photo of a kid and a photo of two people having sex really close together. That's the sort of thing that the BBFC think is a no-no. They still don't like it today. There are movies that have been cut for that kind of content. It makes very little difference to the movie. You probably wouldn't notice it. But if you're going to watch Bad Timing in the UK, it's very, very, very slightly cut. Doesn't matter. In some cases, you know, yeah, the cuts do matter and it ruins the movie. This doesn't really. It's a very small part of a scene and you really wouldn't notice it. The rest of the movie is where all the sort of more confrontational action happens. None of that's cut. Yeah, and you think when there's a sequence almost bordering on necrophilia not quite but bordering on it because obviously he doesn't quite know if she's dead or not 
Yeah, it's quite interesting that that is what the BBFC gunned for. The version that we saw, I mean, that whole child seeing his parents having sex very much in it, but it's like such a close-up and a blurry photo. You, you kind of, you get the gist of what's occurring, but you don't actually see anything in too much detail. And I think it does enough to get its point across. So as you say, the cuts don't really matter in that respect at all. But it's definitely a film that gets under your skin. I think that's the best way to describe it because it's one that you don't stop thinking about after. And as I say, there's so much to it. Like another scene that I just felt really uncomfortable watching, it's the scene where the couple decide to holiday in Morocco and they get a lift with these two men and she's basically put in the back of the truck and Milena's in the middle of these two men and they're, you know, being quite flirtatious with her. There's even, like, the touching of her leg and that. And it just feels so disturbing and just so sleazy to watch. And you just think, you just want her to tell these guys to fuck off or whatever. And I think it borders on your having thoughts of, oh, my God, what, what is going to happen? You think the worst situation is going to happen in the next scene, the way this is all done. So again, that's clever because basically that scene happens and then they move on and get on with their holiday. So I find that quite an interesting dynamic, but that builds on Alex's paranoia and his mistrust for her. So again, there's just so much packed into this, which really explores the psychology of this character. And it's just a really mind-blowing film that you just won't forget once you've seen it. And even if you've seen bits of it, you won't forget it because there's just something about this film that draws you in and compels you, as I said at the beginning of this episode. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention, I'm sure you would have spotted it, Darren. In the aesthetic of Milena's apartment, there are some very creepy sculptures, dolls, paintings. And just off the side of the bed, there's this sort of puppet doll type thing and I couldn't take my eyes off it like my eyes were drawing to this because it's just there staring out at you and I just found the aesthetic really interesting choice because you've just got a busy room as well this I mean it's 70s decor for a start so everything just looks really busy and garish and then you've got this doll staring out at you and I, I just could not look away from it like sometimes I was just focusing on this doll because it was creeping me out so much yeah, the doll is quite a disturbing bit of the movie. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's disturbing in this movie, of which the doll is one. We don't talk a lot about art direction a lot on this podcast. The art direction in this movie is fantastic. They've filled the scenes with weird artefacts, odd bits of art. There's just so much going off in the background. If you're looking at how they've put together these various scenes and... I mean, even the art gallery is kind of weird. It's like they're going around an art gallery and it's on the face of it, it's just kind of a normal scene. But even that's slightly off as well. And the fact that somebody has really taken the care to think about things like that. It's not just about the performances. It's not just about the screenplay. The art direction's great. And these objects get focused. Like there's a brooch at one point which is focused on far more than it should. You don't know why, basically. It's just focusing on this brooch. It doesn't necessarily mean anything, but there's focus on it. Weirdly enough, there are two pieces of art in Art Garfunkel's character's apartment and Harvey Keitel's character's apartment, which are the same. It's flipping the script a little bit. It's kind of, you know, these guys are very similar. It's showing you that they've got particular touchstones. There's things that mean certain things to them. 
whereas Harvey Keitel's cop is quite righteous and driven. Alex is driven in a completely different way. He's driven to destroy things. Harvey Keitel's character is driven to solve things, but they're not that far apart. Men do not get a good ride in this movie. The men in this movie are either quite weak and ineffectual or just fucking dreadful. And I think that's quite a controversial point. And I think we're going to go to the not all men argument as well. This, But again, Rogue isn't saying all men here. He's just saying these particular characters are horrible. Basically, I'm going to put you in a film with these characters for two hours being horrible. If you can sit through it and you can take something from that, great. But I'm not going to let you out either. There are no easy answers in this movie. And as you say at the end... Art Garfunkel's character is still around to make somebody else's life a misery. There is that nice thousand-yard stare that Therese Russell, she just kind of pretty much looks through him, and he's left driving off in this cab. I mean, obviously, he's not destroyed by it, but there's something disturbed in him, because he's looking back, and she's just got this blank expression on her face. It's just like, I don't care. And you just see him disappearing into the distance, and he's looking back. You can read that in any number of ways. But it does mean that she's taken some of the power back at the end, even though Art Garfunkel hasn't been brought to justice. And that's another thing, as you say, that's another thing that's controversial about this movie. The bad guy doesn't really get caught at the end. He's made to reflect upon himself, but you know that that's going to have no effect on him whatsoever because he's been such a dick throughout the entire movie that nearly getting caught by some cop. Do you think that's going to stop him in the future? There's a feeling that that won't happen. No, I agree with you. I do read that as her taking back the power and that he cannot harm her again. She is wise to him. That's what I'd like to think. And then that's where he's lost a bit of control there. And I think that's the expression on his face. So I think we can take some comfort in that, but I don't think it's enough, but it will never be enough. And there's no sequel, that's all you get. And you've been through this turbulent experience that has gone to an incredibly dark place. And it's just left in limbo to a point. But I think if you want to take something positive from it, you can, like we have. I think that's very interesting for the time it was made. Obviously, I don't know if this was trying to be some sort of pro-feminist movie. I don't think it was at all. I think it was just meant to be a provoking movie, very bleak and just looking at deplorable people. I think that's all it was meant to do. And we weren't meant to read anything deeper in terms of gender politics or anything like that from it. It's just like, that's the way things were back then. That's how gender attitudes were. And it's just evocative of that, because that was the time. I think what we try and do on this podcast is look at everything as a product of its time. And sometimes things can hit a nerve. But with this, it's... Yeah, just a film that I'll never forget. I think that's the thing. It's it's one of those that is unforgettable. And, you know, I just hope more people get the opportunity to see it or choose to see it because I do feel they're missing out because I think this is an experience you need to have. You just won't be able to get it out of your mind. That's true. It is an unforgettable movie. There are certain things that happen in this movie that you will not be able to unsee and it will prey on your mind for several hours, days, weeks, months afterwards. I'm still thinking about Bad Time. There's so many ways that you can look at this movie. There's so many ways that you can interpret the characters. There's so many ways that you can interpret the story. 
it's an amazing movie. I absolutely love this movie. It's odd to say that you love a movie with so much disturbing content in it, but I think it's an amazing piece of cinema. It's one of the best movies that we've covered on this podcast by a country mile. It is so good. I know that we do a lot of exploitation. I know we do a lot of silly stuff, but occasionally it's nice to do something a little bit weightier, a bit more in the sort of arty sphere, something that's usually a bit more well thought of, because it's got a director that's got a bit of credibility. It's kind of like Nick Rogue's Guilty Secret, this one. Not a huge number of fans for this movie. Although, having said that, it has picked up a lot more credibility over the years. I did see a review from Kim Newman, who reviewed a Blu-ray of Bad Time that came out not so long ago, and he gave it five out of five and just said, it's an amazing movie. See, it's uh, I'm with Kim Newman. It is an amazing movie. Go and see it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I know what you mean. It just does feel like it is buried under his filmography. It's not the first movie that comes to mind when you think of Nick Rogue. And I think just based on my kind of age and upbringing and era and that kind of thing, for me, it is The Witches is my first thing. And I know that, again, won't be for everybody, but that was the first film that ever disturbed me in my life. So that's always at the forefront. And then this one... And then, of course, Don't Look Now, because that is iconic. And again, that has so many weird elements in it. And this is the thing, these films are meant to knock you off kilter, and that's what it does. It's a position you don't want to be in, but you're just too intrigued and you just want to see what's going to happen. I think it just really compels the audience. And some people will be completely turned off by this and will walk away from it and won't want to know it and won't want to touch it with a barge pole. But give it a chance because it is powerful. And usually, for me, I don't gravitate towards art house films very much because I think I find the lack of plot and the kind of ambiguity about them sometimes a little bit hard to follow. I think that's my opinion. Like, I don't like any sort of French new wave. I don't get on with that. A movie we covered way back when, I think it was part of a festival coverage piece we did. It was a movie, I can't remember its name now, but it was one where it was just a house and people just mumbling, nothing really happening. For me, that is just a waste of my time. But when a movie can really provoke you, but also do something a bit artistically, you know, it doesn't put me off. So I think me giving this a chance is a huge thing. But as I said, this is not what I was expecting when... I was on the hunt for this movie. I was expecting some really hard-to-find random TV movie that played on Channel 5, because that's what I thought we were looking for. But I was completely blown away when I found out what this was, but there is no denying that this is the movie, because everything lines up. Art Garfunkel, his image, the curly hair, the blonde actress, the bleeding from the neck, the ambulance, the flashbacks, the meeting in a bar, all of it accumulates together and it's like definitely saw this film clearly saw a huge chunk of it surprisingly I just can't remember why we stopped but I'm so glad we did and I'm so glad that I've watched it now in its entirety as a fully grown adult where I can handle this content to a point I'm not saying I had a great time watching that end scene it's one of the most disturbing pieces of celluloid I've ever had to see but I won't forget it 
it's just chilling it's just honestly chilling yeah all of that it's such an amazing piece of art and for our podcast to be talking about amazing pieces of art I know we kind of gravitate to the more fun stuff, but I like the fact that we've covered this movie. I'm so glad that I found this movie because I probably wouldn't have watched it. I knew it was out there and I'm a reasonably big fan of Nick Rogue stuff, but even so, it's fairly hard to get hold of. There's lots and lots of other stuff out there. So if it hadn't have been for this, it probably would have been years and years and years until I'd come across it. At least now I can keep going back to bad timing I'm probably going to try and source the Blu-ray now because I need a copy of this movie. I know that not a lot of people will need a copy of this movie, but I need a copy of this movie because it is such a brilliantly directed, brilliantly acted, brilliantly shot movie experience. You're just thrown into it and it doesn't let you off the hook for two hours. And I realise that for some people that will be too much. If you walk out, I completely understand why, but... For anybody that wants to take the journey right to the end, including that bit at the end, it is an unforgettable experience. And I would urge people to check it out because it is a special movie, regardless of the fact that people said at the time that it was just for sick people. It is not. It's for adults. You've got to make that decision. It's an adult movie aimed at adults. Absolutely. And then when you think of movies like a Serbian film, the human centipede films, the guinea pig films, I could just go on and on. There's so much out there since this was made that is even more questionable. And I think personally were mainly made for shock value rather than actually trying to say something provoking. This is trying to actually provoke and it's trying to disturb, but it's doing it in such an intelligent way. It's not exploitative. And I think that's what's really important about this. It's not an exploitation film. It is very much a disturbing art house thriller. That is my opinion on it. And I'm quite proud of us for getting a little bit more cultured on this. I mean, you know, we like our sharks, as you know, and we like laughing at a bit of Walmart here and there. I'm proud of us for broadening our horizons a little bit, especially me, because (laughs) you know with me that I I can be a bit on the fence about certain things and I I have watched some things for this podcast that I've thought okay (laughs) where did that come from and why yeah that's true that's true I am glad you enjoyed this because I did watch it a few weeks ago and thought well that was a time (laughs) but so I hope that Ailey gets as much out of it as I did and I'm I am glad you did because when you come to bad timing it can go one of two ways as I've said before I don't hold it against anybody that watches this movie and just says, no, I don't like this, I don't like the characters, I don't like what's going on, this is too disturbing, I'm out. That's fine. If you give it a chance and then think, no, not for me, that's perfectly fine. But for people that would just dismiss it out of hand, you're missing out on something, I think, here, because it is, as I've said, a special movie. It's just great, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think if I was ever going to devise a list of my favourite, say, disturbing movies, this would have to be on it. I am really down for exploring more of Rogue's work as we continue our podcast journey because I know that there's so much more interesting content we could get out of it. IMDb have have given it a rating of 6.9 out of 10, which is slightly above average, but I think it deserves a bit more of a higher score. 
and then heading over to Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 46% tomato meter and a 74% audience score. It's a divisive movie. There's no two ways about it. That is just how it is. All I have left to say is thank you again to my friend Emma for bringing this up over lunch randomly and my determination to find this. And honestly, I would love to help anybody if they are searching for a movie that they can't find and they have limited information. I say Reddit is such a great source. So I would just say go to the tip of my tongue thread and put everything out there. And I know most of the time these movie mysteries do get solved. So I highly recommend doing that. Yes. Big shout out to Emma. I cannot thank her enough for getting this movie in front of me. I am utterly blown away by it. It's possibly my favourite rogue movie. It's it's so out there. It's so out on its own, this movie. It's got such a strange way of looking at things. It's a beautiful piece of work, but it also covers some incredibly dark stuff as well. Right up my street, absolutely love this sort of thing. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 110 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this content and would like to check out more of our diverse content that we put out there, you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, X and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast, the artist formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, got to get the X in there. So after bad timing, what are we going to do next time? Are we going to do something arty and challenging? Well, let's see. What's it going to be, Early? Okay, it's been 30 years since this film came out and it's one of my all-time favourite movies and we couldn't let the anniversary pass by without doing a whole episode on this film. It is a beloved family comedy with a incredible performance by an actor who is sadly no longer with us. We are going to be looking at Mrs Doubtfire 30 years later. There you go. Bad timing to Mrs Doubtfire. That is a leap. Should be enjoyable though. Nice to get back into Robin Williams's set of films. It's been a while since we've discussed his performances, so this should be a good one. Until then, stay safe everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbeat.